The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us as we wind you down toward the weekend. Big weekend of sports. Some of the biggest stars on some of the biggest stages. You've got the Pro Bowl, minus the players that are playing in the Super Bowl. Oh, but you've got the NHL All-Star Game without guys like Alexander Ovechkin. So really we have watered-down, over-glorified sideshow attractions. Remember when a lot of these all-star showcases meant something? The NBA, I get why they eliminated the East and West portion of it, but it's still hard for me to get used to the idea of Team LeBron, Team Curry, Team Kyrie. We tried that in the NFL. We had Team Sanders, Team Rice. That was a disaster. They made the decision to go back to the AFC-NFC. The only problem with that is... It's still before the Super Bowl. But no one would care, at least for ratings, if it was after the Super Bowl again. And they still played it in Hawaii. So they play it this weekend in Orlando. But I'm talking about the NBA. I miss it when it was the East-West playing each other. None of this, we get to vote for captains and the captains pick teams like it's a third grade game of kickball. Now, let the East go out there and get their butts kicked, if that's what it's going to be. The NHL, I like how they do it. I like having the three-on-three tournament with the four divisions playing against each other. But I don't like the fact that players are starting to sit out and take that extra rest. Alex Ovechkin was the first one to do it, and I'm worried he's going to be a trendsetter. I'm worried he's going to be like Jake Butt and college football seniors sitting out for their bowl game when they're not playing for the national championship. That's why I'm worried Ovechkin is doing, because normally I like watching NHL All-Star Weekend, and that's this weekend, but it feels like we have an extremely watered-down version of both that, which is on a Saturday now, and the Pro Bowl on Sunday, where we're not going to get to see Tom Brady, Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald, and guys who are good enough to go to the Super Bowl but they're not good enough to play among the NFL's elite? Supposedly, it's a showcase of the top talent in the NFL. Except, you're not putting guys that have led their team to the Super Bowl on there. I said a few weeks on the show, you look at the AFC, and the three quarterbacks who were taken for the Pro Bowl were Patrick Mahomes, Phillip Rivers, and of course, Tom Brady. I thought, if one of them gets to the Super Bowl, who's going to be the next man up? for quarterbacks in the American Football Conference. The logical choice is Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is a guy who was in the conversation for MVP, and I'm not saying Andrew Luck at any point this season had a real shot at winning the MVP. It's a whole different thing to be a contender for the MVP and in the conversation. It's like LeBron in the NBA this year. He's always going to be in the MVP talk because he's LeBron. But right now, is there really anybody who's got a shot other than Giannis and Harden? Same way in the NFL with Mahomes and Breeze. And right now, I think there's a clear favorite between those two. And I don't think that's going to change because both their seasons ended in their conference championship games. So Andrew Luck is right around that tier with Phillip Rivers and Aaron Donald in the MVP talk. And Rivers is the guy Luck is replacing in the Pro Bowl. That was announced last week. That Rivers, still dealing with that lingering injury, would sit out the Pro Bowl. A good decision on his part. Luck would be his replacement. But now we find that Tom Brady is going to the Super Bowl. 
And the NFL's had time to think about this decision because it was either going to be Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. One of them was going to have to sit out the Pro Bowl. So they knew at some point they were going to have to go essentially with a fifth-string quarterback in the AFC to represent the Pro Bowl, the best of the best that the league can put on in Orlando. And they went with Deshaun Watson. I like the pick of Deshaun Watson. I do a lot. He's coming off an injury, like Andrew Luck. He lost one of his top weapons early on in the season, Will Fuller, one of the best vertical route runners in the league. Yet he still performed well. The Texans were a team that, think if they had Will Fuller, do you think they really could have been a Super Bowl contender? They would have definitely had one of the top two seeds over New England, wouldn't they? If they were one game better, they had Will Fuller. I could see Houston as definitely being a top two seed. And then we're talking about maybe they could be a Super Bowl contender with that bye. Now, I don't feel as strongly as I did about them in maybe week 16 or 17 because I saw the buzzsaw they ran into with the Indianapolis Colts. But you think if the seeding had changed, how different the postseason could look for a few teams. You think about the Chargers. If they didn't have to go on the road and win three games... Why couldn't they have been favorites in the AFC? If they had won the AFC West and they were the top seed, because keep in mind, they had a better record than the Patriots, but they had to go into Foxborough against a Patriot team that had a bye, and they got destroyed. What if those roles were reversed and the Chargers got to host the AFC Championship game and got New England, who was 3-5 and five in road games this year, to come into their place, whether that's in their little... 30,000-seat stadium in Carson City, or it's somewhere else, because the NFL would hate that if the Chargers won the AFC West and they were the top seed. They would have hated that this year. But wherever that was, as long as they get the Patriots on the road, why couldn't it have been a new ball game? I'm not saying the Patriots didn't deserve to be there. I picked the Patriots to win the AFC since about the midway point of the season. I'm not knocking the Patriots by any stretch. It just makes you think how differently this postseason could have looked if one or two games had gone differently. Like, what if the Miami miracle never happened? New England would be the top seed in the AFC. They would have had the Chiefs go into Foxborough and play them for the AFC Championship last week, and no one would have gave the Chiefs a chance. Probably rightfully so. Patriots went in and won at Arrowhead. They beat the Chiefs twice this year. But either way, it works out that we get the Patriots and the Rams in the Super Bowl next week. But we have the Pro Bowl to focus on here in just a few days. Is anybody going to watch is going to be the thing. I might. I might flip there. I mean, if there's nothing better on, why not? I miss the old days with the Pro Bowl. I miss when it was after the Super Bowl and it really was the best in the league showcased against each other. I'm starting to miss that in the NHL, if this is going to be a trend where players are going to sit out for extra rest. I miss growing up and being able to see the best players in each league going hard at each other, really taking it seriously and putting on a show for the fans. I miss that. The NBA still does a pretty good job of that. Those players go hard. They still consider it an honor to go there. Some of these other sports are just 
treating it as a checklist on your resume. That's a nice honor. I'm going to set it out, but it'll go down to my Wikipedia page. It'll make teams want me. Long after my playing career, I'll be able to look back and say, yeah, I was a three-time All-Star, although I only played in one event. Here's to hoping that the MLB does not change its ways, that the MLB is going to keep the Midsummer Classic the way it is, ALNL, the best players are on the field, and they're playing for something. They're playing for home field advantage in the World Series. Those guys go hard for it, and I love that. I love the MLB All-Star Game. I want to throw something else at you, go a little bit further with this, and how they select teams for All-Star Games. Now, in the MLB, the status quo is that you take at least one representative from every team. So everyone sends a minimum of one player. Every team is represented. I get that in some sense. I get that. You want to make everybody feel represented. Give them all something to feel good about. Sell some extra merchandise, maybe. Every team has a little bit better of a chance to market their guy. Do a little bit of a mini campaign for him. I've still got my Vote Joe button from the 2006 All-Star season where the Minnesota Twins were giving out buttons to commemorate Joe Maurer trying to go for the All-Star game, red, white, and blue, very presidential looking. It gives every team the opportunity to do like that. Market a little bit, make a little extra money for the league, make a little extra money for the franchise. But does that water down the talent? Don't you want the best players regardless of team in an all-star game, a true all-star game? It might water it down, but how much is going to be the thing? Maybe only slightly? A lot of that depends on which year you're going about it, you're thinking about. But is the talent pool being watered down ever so slightly worth taking money out of the pockets of owners and franchises? Because the way it is right now, maybe there's a slight dip in the talent pool that gets selected for the All-Star Game, but everybody's getting a little extra jingle in their pocket. What do you think? What do my listeners think? Would it be a true All-Star Game if you have only the best players regardless of teams? So you would have a chance to maybe bring in the guy who's hitting 250, somewhere in that range, with... 12 home runs at the All-Star break, but there's already three representatives on his team. Two outstanding pitchers and a guy who's hitting 280 with 17 home runs. So he might be deserving of an All-Star spot, but he would be the fourth guy on his team. I'm already picturing him in a Yankee uniform, I can just tell. And then you get a team from a bottom feeder. I mean, for example... Let's just say that the Miami Marlins, if they have anybody that would be worthy of going to the All-Star game, would he be better than the Yankees' fourth option if the Marlins' top option is hitting 240 with 10 home runs by the All-Star break, but the Yankees' fourth option is hitting 250 with, say, 12 home runs? 
What does that do for the talent pool? Which do you prefer? Would you rather see a fourth option who's better than a different team's first option? Or would you rather see all 30 franchises represented at the MLB All-Star Game? Either way, I'm hoping the MLB All-Star Game always stays something that matters. For one thing, it's baseball. It's baseball. It's America's pastime. For another, I don't want to see it turn into something like the Pro Bowl. To a lesser extent, what the NHL All-Star Game and the NBA All-Star Weekend are starting to turn to. And again, I like the format they have in the NHL. I just don't want it to become a thing where it's like a college bowl game. And these seniors sit out. Yeah, I know why they do it. and I don't blame them for doing that. It's not on them. I don't have anything against them for doing it. It's in their best interest, what have you. But selfishly, as a fan, as a sports fan, I selfishly want to see the best players on the biggest stage with all the other stars. Because we don't get the opportunity to see that. Even in the Super Bowl, you'll get a few all-pros from each team. In an all-star game or a pro bowl, everybody's an all-pro. That's something special. That's why I loved it so much growing up. And we've seen greed, money, marketing, all of that gnaw away at it. In every league except arguably the MLB. And that's why I'm hoping Major League Baseball doesn't change its all-star format going forward. We're up against our first timeout. We'll come back. I've got some thoughts on the Detroit Pistons and what they could do to still save their season. What pieces are they missing, and where do they have a surplus? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops in studio with you. Thanks for hanging out with us. As always, again, if you want to get in touch with the show anytime, you can tweet at us. Go on Twitter, tweet us at ESPNUP. Our handle is the at symbol ESPNUP. Send in your thoughts. We'd like to address them throughout the show. I had one tweet that was sent in earlier this week. We were talking about the Pistons on Monday. We were talking about the Pistons and how there may be one piece away. I had one listener who thought we were overselling the Pistons. And again, that's all right. I want to know these things. I want my listeners to engage with me. So again, if you have a thought, tweet us at ESPNUP. We'll address it. Maybe not in the same day, but we'll address it because I want to get your feedback and your thoughts. So let's talk about this one. Were we overselling the Pistons on Monday? I had Charlie Bramer in the studio with me. Now, the Pistons are a team that are struggling, to say the least, right now. They had not high expectations, but they were supposed to be watchable. And right now, they're pretty mediocre, slightly below average. Dwayne Casey, the reigning NBA Coach of the Year, comes in. That was a great hire, by the way. The Pistons don't have a lot of depth right now, but does that determine whether they can be successful in the Eastern Conference in 2018-2019? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Here's the thing. They have got two all-pro players, at least all-pro potential players, in Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. 
That's right. Andre Drummond still has all pro potential. But here's the thing. I don't think he will ever achieve that in Detroit. And I don't think the Pistons are ever going to achieve success, or at least success at the level that they want, at the standard that Dwayne Casey has shown he can set. I don't think that's going to happen for either the Pistons or Andre Drummond. That's why I believe the key to the Pistons' rebuild starts without Andre Drummond. Now, what can you get for a guy like Andre Drummond? He's a guy right now who's clogging the lane. He's a guy clogging up the lane for Blake Griffin. Your top player is Griff. Okay, he's got to be the priority for your big men. Andre Drummond has a shooting range of about four feet. Not exaggerating. He has a range of about four feet. The new generation of big men, like we were talking about on Monday, can step out and hit the three. They can draw your defender out. Blake should be going to work down there, but the lane is always clogged up because they know Andre Drummond is not a threat to be shooting from outside that little restricted semicircle. So they just sit there, they camp, they puppy guard in a way. Andre Drummond is a liability to what Blake Griffin wants to do in that sense. And then, I mean, he still is a contributor. He's still a guy that can contribute in the NBA. He's a double-double machine. But on the offense, he's a liability. You need to have almost four guards around Blake to really get the best out of him when you're on the offensive end. And you can't just have a talent like Drummond sitting on the bench, especially with how well he rebounds. So you start looking and taking offers on Andre Drummond. Who will want Andre's contract? Again, he has no range, but could he be the primary big guy for a different NBA team? First of all, let's consider Andre's contract. He was signed to an extension in summer of 2016. That made him the highest paid Piston ever. Is he living up to that? You can't have him on the floor in late-game situations. He's still a double-double machine, and he's only 24. Is there anybody better on the pick-and-roll in the NBA than Andre Drummond? Those are some of the perks. But him and Blake Griffin on the same team? It's just not a winning formula, especially when you don't have consistent guard play. Now, I think there's a high ceiling for guys like Reggie Bullock and Reggie Jackson. Maybe even Luke Kennard. But how long are they willing to wait for that? Time's ticking on Blake Griffin. He's over 30 and he's aging. He's only got a few years left where he's going to be peak Blake Griffin. He's going to be at his prime. You can't be wasting that because he's essentially in a double team every single night. Whether Andre is inside the paint or he's stepping out because... Nobody has confidence that Andre is going to hit from outside the paint. So Blake is essentially taking on to double team every time he goes down low. Think about the numbers that he's putting up right now. Now think about him if he was going one-on-one -on -one every time Andre was on the floor because someone was concerned about Andre stepping out and hitting a shot from outside the basket, not sitting underneath of it. I don't think you're going to get that with Andre here in the next few years, even before his deal runs out. 
So try to unload that contract on somebody else. That could pose a big problem. I think there are a lot of perks to having a guy like Andre Drummond on your team. It just doesn't seem to work with what Dwayne Casey wants to run in Detroit. And that's fine. Just because you're not a good fit in one city doesn't mean you're not a good player. And I think that's the case with Andre Drummond right here. I really do. If you're Detroit, what can you get for your return on investment? What would be something reasonable when you take into consideration Andre's talent, his youth, maybe his health? He's in concussion protocol right now. But then you think about what can you get back for him? What can you get back for a guy with no range and a big contract, but he's a great rebounder. You can run the pick and roll with him nearly to perfection. The focus has to be guard play. The focus has to be guard play. We brought up on Monday, what if J.J. Redick was wearing a Detroit Pistons uniform? Would that be enough to get Detroit into playoff position? Would it get them to be over the top? Here's where I think that tweet might have come from, where one of our listeners was concerned that we were overselling the Pistons. The upper echelon of the NBA right now, or the NBA East specifically, is Toronto, Milwaukee, Indiana, Philadelphia, and Boston. Those are the five in the upper echelon. That's right, Indiana's up there. I mean, what they start this season, 30 and 15? They did it so quietly and snuck into third? I don't care how this season ends. Find out who coaches the Pacers and get him coach of the year for the job that he's done. Over. I don't even know who coaches. I think it's, is it McMillan? It's not Frank Vogel anymore. I have to double check that. I think it's McMillan. Either way, he deserves coach of the year for what he's doing over there. That's my hot take about the halfway point of the season, no matter how the rest of the season pans out. Either way, back on track. You have five teams that are the upper echelon of the NBA East. Who says that adding one key guard like J.J. Redick, even without Andre Drummond, if you were to swap out, this is all hypothetical, if you were to swap out a guard of J.J. Redick's caliber for Andre Drummond and you pair him up with Blake Griffin, why couldn't the Pistons be right below that upper echelon of teeth? I'm not saying join them. I think there might have been some confusion there from what our listeners heard on Monday. I don't think the Pistons are one piece away from joining that top five in the East. But maybe making it somewhat of a top six or being right outside of it. Certainly they would be sixth of the six if that were the case. Why couldn't J.J. Redick in the backcourt for the Pistons be better than the Brooklyn Nets as they are right now? absolutely no reason that they couldn't be no reason that reddick couldn't get the pistons into playoff position even without andre drummond at some point the pistons front office needs to move on from the young backcourt that they have if they want to invest in blake griffin and dwayne casey which they should while they're both still in their primes i know they've got some young talented guards with bullock jackson Kennard, Ish Smith. But at some point, when do you stop waiting for them to reach their potential or realize it may not happen while they're in Detroit? 
At what point do you go all in because you want to take advantage of Blake Griffin? You want to take advantage of an extremely underrated coach who's proven that he can win in the NBA before. Pistons are in a unique spot where they may be one key piece away from taking a giant step forward. I really think if they had a consistent guard, a scoring threat who can space the floor, doesn't have to be J.J. Redick. I just like the thought of J.J. Redick in a Pistons uniform. If they had one guy like that, why couldn't they be better than the Brooklyn Nets or whoever's in the sixth spot? Why couldn't the Pistons take that next step and be a team that's not just fighting for playoff position, but they're a team that's about middle of the pack and maybe one more piece away from joining that upper echelon of Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, and Indiana over there in the East. I really think Detroit's in a spot where they are one piece away from being a playoff team, but I don't see that happening with Andre Drummond. As long as they have him and they want to run the system that Casey runs, they're going to clash. And I just see them treading water. Because Washington's on a hot streak and they've pulled up neck and neck with Detroit. Playoff hopes are slipping away. And it's getting too late for the Pistons if they want to make a move. I want to see them make a move. I want to see the Pistons go after it because I want playoff basketball up here. We'll get the Bucks. I want to see the Pistons take it too. Their window's still open, and they're in a better spot than a lot of teams are, but it's starting to close quick, and they need to take advantage. We're up against our next break. When we come back, I really like this year's quarterback class in the NFL draft. I like it better than last year's, and I'll tell you why after this in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on your Friday afternoon, winding you down to the 5 o'clock hour. Well, I really like this year's NFL draft class as far as quarterbacks go. I think it's so much deeper than last year's. I think there's better talent than last year's. You look at the quarterbacks that were taken last year. There's so much hype surrounding it. Of course, Baker Mayfield. A lot of people give the Giants flack for taking a running back at number two and not taking a quarterback. I don't think they'd have been any better this year with Sam Darnold and Wayne Gallman in the backfield. Maybe worse, because I believe Baker Mayfield was the only quarterback worth taking in the first round of last year's draft. And you can make the case for Lamar Jackson. You can make the case for Lamar Jackson just because of where he went in the draft last year. But Josh Rosen and Josh Allen, what did they do in college that made us think their game would translate to the NFL, that they would be successful in the NFL? Let's break them both down. Josh Rosen, he struggled this season as a rookie. Granted, played for the Arizona Cardinals. He had a defensive-minded head coach in Steve Wilkes, who's now gone. And once they got rid of Mike McCoy as the offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, quarterback's coach, took over. He improved a lot. And I give Byron Leftwich a ton of credit. He's burst onto the coaching scene in a big way. He's a good quarterback in his playing days, but he's going to be an even better coach in the NFL. Byron Leftwich is going to be a fantastic coach in the NFL. 
Josh Rosen started to pick up toward the end of the year. But what did anybody see in him besides the fact that he plays a style that could translate to the NFL? I mean, if you had the chance to put the ball in the hands of any quarterback on the college scene last year and lead you down the field for a game-winning drive, was Josh Rosen the guy that comes to mind? A guy with a mediocre UCLA team? I didn't see anything at UCLA that really made me want to draft Josh Rosen. I don't believe he was worth the top 10 pick. I don't believe he's a true first rounder. I think there are guys in this year's draft class that had exponentially more success in college than Josh Rosen, and they won't go anywhere near the first round. I'm thinking of guys like Will Greer, like Trace McSorley. Those guys all had better college careers than a guy like Josh Rosen did. How about Jared Stidham from Auburn? Take out this year, maybe. A lot of those guys perform better in college. Their teams perform better with them. They were able to lead their teams to successful years. Josh Rosen didn't have that playing in the Pac-12. I don't think he's bad, but I don't think he's in a position to be a success right off the bat. I mean, I didn't see anything that I thought would be warranted of drafting him 10th overall. But either way, that's the way that Steve Kime and the Arizona Cardinals front office went. How about Josh Allen? I saw Josh Allen play live in college. I saw him at Lincoln, Nebraska, when the Nebraska Cornhuskers blew the doors off Wyoming. And it was a close game entering the fourth quarter. But where did anybody get the idea that Josh Allen's game was going to translate to the NFL? Wouldn't we have seen it in college at a higher level than what the Wyoming Cowboys were able to offer? I just never saw where anybody thought this guy's game could translate to the NFL. For one thing, he struggles as a pro-style quarterback. Josh Allen has the skill set of Lamar Jackson, but Josh Allen has the mindset of a guy who plays for Mike Leach. He wants to throw the ball. At least Lamar Jackson has success as a quarterback because he plays to his strengths and to his skill set, and he runs the football effectively. He doesn't need to be a passer necessarily. I mean, yes, his rookie colors came out big time in the playoffs this year, but he still got him there. He took a job from a quarterback who won a Super Bowl, and he reversed the tide on a sinking team in 2018-2019. He saved John Harbaugh's job. Lamar Jackson plays to his strengths. That's why I believe he was the second best quarterback taken in last year's draft behind Baker Mayfield. And let's not forget Sam Darnold. Okay, I'm a Notre Dame guy. You all know that. I saw him get obliterated, lit up at Notre Dame Stadium in October of his senior year. I knew then and there, I don't want Sam Darnold on my NFL team. I had someone with a straight face ask me, because I like to follow the New York Giants. I'm an Eli Manning fan. Someone with a straight face asked me, in hindsight, wouldn't you rather that the Giants took Sam Darnold instead of Saquon Barkley? I couldn't believe that somebody, and this is somebody who I respect as a football mind. 
a high football acumen, ask me that. Would I rather have Sam Darnold and Wayne Gallman as a quarterback-running back combo for the New York Giants rather than Eli Manning and Saquon Barkley? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am not high on Sam Darnold. I still think he'll be out of the league in less than five years. I'm not high on last year's quarterback draft class. I think they were overhyped. I don't know why five of them were taken in the first round, why everyone got the notion that these guys who flew under the radar in college are going to fly over the radar in the NFL, and they're going to have success early on in their career. But let's talk about this year's quarterback draft class, because there's a lot more guys in it who've had success at the college level. This is a much deeper draft class. If the draft happened today, I think there would be three first-round quarterbacks taken. Kyler Murray, of course. He could go number one overall. Mel Kuyper thinks he's going to slip down to 13th, something like that. Dwayne Haskins, I can see going about number six, maybe to the Giants. By the way, I would take Dwayne Haskins over Sam Darnold in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I think Dwayne Haskins will have a better NFL career than Sam Darnold will. And I also think Daniel Jones is going to go late in the first round. I still think Daniel Jones is going to head to New England. He's going to train under Tom Brady for the next few years, and he is going to be the heir apparent to the New England Patriots. Those are my three quarterbacks that I have going in the first round right now. Kyler Murray, who knows where he's going to go. He can go anywhere from 1 to 15, depending how serious he is about playing football over baseball and how much NFL GMs are willing to take a chance on him or pay him. Dwayne Haskins, I see him going anywhere from 6 to 10, somewhere in that range. And then Daniel Jones, I have going late first round, wherever the Patriots are drafting. But then you look later in the draft, around that second day, maybe even third day level, those kind of guys. Drew Locke from Missouri raises a ton of questions. He might go top 40. And he could be a really good pick for a team that's looking for a Swiss Army knife type of guy. Drew Locke has size. He had success as much as he can for an okay Missouri team coached by Barry Odom playing in the SEC. He did about as well as you could for a team like that. I know they got Kelly Bryant coming in. I don't know if that's an upgrade, to be honest with you. I don't know if they're getting much better by doing that. It's a great pickup, don't get me wrong. I think that highly of Drew Locke. Drew Locke has a chance to be somewhat of a Taysom Hill type player for whoever gets him. A Swiss Army knife. A guy you can do a lot with. Now, will he go to a guy who can do as much with him as Sean Payton is doing with Taysom Hill? I don't know. But Drew Locke has the potential. That potential is there for whoever's looking for a versatile quarterback. How about Garner Minshew from Washington State? The mustache. A guy who raised a lot of eyebrows this year. Why isn't he getting looked at a little bit heavier than some of these other quarterbacks? Gardner Minshew was impressive this year. And the way the offense has been picking up in the NFL, the way the NFL offices want offense to be picked up, Gardner Minshew's absolutely the guy you want at quarterback. Why aren't teams giving him more of a look? Garner Minshew absolutely has a game that can translate to the NFL. 
I don't know if Will Greer and Trace McSorley will ever translate to the NFL. I just know they gave me more reason to be optimistic about them than Josh Rosen or Josh Allen ever did at the college level. I don't know where they're going to go in the draft. I can see them going anywhere from the fifth to the seventh round. And then Tyree Jackson from Buffalo. They were kind of a surprise this year for their conference. Tyree Jackson is a monster. Six foot seven. And he has got a cannon. But he's raw. His talent is raw. But you can't tell me that there's not going to be an NFL team that's going to look at a six foot seven quarterback with a laser arm, think maybe we can take him late in the draft and work with him a little bit. Remember the name, Tyree Jackson, quarterback from Buffalo. That's a guy to watch. And then, of course, you've got the brainiacs of this year's quarterback class. Guys like Clayton Thorson from Northwestern, Ryan Finley from North Carolina State. Those guys are smart guys. They're smart quarterbacks. Do I think they're going to pan out in the NFL? No. No. They're smart. They had successful college careers. But I don't see them lasting in the NFL for more than a few years. You can agree with this take or not, love it or hate it, but book it. This NFL quarterback draft class will be better than last year's. Long term, this year is going to provide a better crop of quarterbacks, a deeper draft class of NFL caliber quarterbacks than last year did. Last year was overhyped, didn't live up to it, and they're not going to. You can book that. You can book that. We can come back to this tape here in about five years and see where we're at. But there is going to be some hidden gems, some diamonds in the rough in this year's NFL draft class at the quarterback position. See what GMs are going to be fortunate enough to find one. We are up against a break. We'll take our last time out. Ryan Steig will join me next. We'll preview the Northern Michigan Hockey Weekend coming up. All that and more. You're listening to Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Ryan Stieg with you. We uh, wind you down to the 5 o'clock hour here on Friday. And we're glad to have the official beat writer of the Northern Michigan men's hockey team in studio with us. Finishing off with a little bit of hockey because there's a big one going on tonight at the Barry Events Center this weekend. Number 7 Minnesota State comes to town for two games against Northern, who's coming in a red-hot team, winning six straight. Now they're three games over five hundred. It's uh, it's probably the biggest game of the season so far. I mean, you know, there's the Tech games are fun, but, like, the real true, like, a lot of stuff is riding on this series is this one and the following weekend against Bowling Green. Um you're trying to get into first place. Northern is currently six behind Minnesota State. A sweep puts them in a tie. Great opportunity for them. And then could they gain ground the following week when they play Bowling Green? Mm-hmm. So I, there's it's a big series. Um, Grandpa Tony knows it. The players know it. I mean, I think the fans know it too that uh, it's going to be a fun one. And there's some wacky storylines too. How appropriate is it that this hockey series is on the same weekend as the Michigan Tech basketball series. That's 
the fact that it's all on the same day on Saturday. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's a nightmare to schedule or try to renovate the Barry for that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, that's why the women's game starts at 11 a.m. Yeah. And uh, I will be covering all three games on You're Saturday. Super Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Thank so, you for your service. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully people appreciate my time. I will be basically at the Berry from 11 a.m. to probably 11 at night because that's how long it takes to get all the hockey information and the press conference is over. But uh, it's it's going to be an interesting day. Uh, I know there's. It's the tech game, so people are amped for that. And then you got a lot riding in the hockey, so it's, it's. I mean, if you're going to be a trooper like a fan, I mean, it's a great day for mm-hmm. you. But it's going to be a long day <laughs> for you. So, um, but uh, that's a fun thing. And then you got hockey. It's if you're looking for a good sports weekend, then you know you can throw the ski race in there too. Yeah, so, it's a great um, one. Yeah, Saturday's a big day in the UP. You talked about some of those storylines, or at least you teased them a little yeah. bit. Tell me about some of those. Um, well, Northern has kind of been that thorn. They didn't used to be, but the storyline is that they're you know they're a team that has now more recently been frustrating Mankato. Mankato came in last year, and the common belief is that they were going to sweep Northern, and Northern split with them, including a rather dominant Saturday night game. Um, so that was some people were you know piqued their interest on that and it kind of showed that northern was kind of turning their season around at that point um and then the other storylines is that you have a very complete team in mankato there's not a whole lot of teams that are good in every area and that's what mankato is they're top 10 in offense they're top 10 in defense they're top <laughs> they're good on they're a little smaller the little lower on the power play but their pk is you know top 10 they're just good <laughs> at pretty much everything their goaltender dryden mckay is playing well right now it's just this is probably other than st cloud their most difficult straight up opponent that um northern's gotten so far but they're a team that can actually keep up with Mankato. They have, you know, Northern's offense is improving. They got the star power to kind of compete with them. Their Northern's defense is like Mankato's. Northern's penalty kill is like Mankato's. So it's like if Northern can play at the level their defense can and maybe start putting goals, like, more consistently, this could be a very good series, and there's the potential for the sweep. But Northern needs to play like they can play they can't have an off night against mankato (laughs) like you know they the games in alaska yeah they got two sweeps but did they really look great especially in the saturday night games they needed a third period rally both nights including a very interesting performance from phil blue (laughs) against alaska fairbanks so you they needed a spark to try to rally against two not very good teams so they can't stumble like in the first period and the second period you got to be able to have three good periods if you're going to get wins against mankato does israel sim play this weekend there's the fun third storyline it's more of the minor one but uh you know matthias israelson left northern he went to mankato he started off the year as a starter he's now moved to backup behind dryden mckay um it's does he play i think he does um, is he going to play both games? Probably not. I guess it de- kind of depends on how he plays. My guess is he plays Friday. Um, it's kind of a mini homecoming for him. Uh, you know, he's wanting to beat his former teammates. You know, he's probably itching at the chance to do it because 
I mean, he always wants to play, but when you want to play the team that you left, <laughs> isn't there that kind of like extra motivation there? And then you got the guys who also want to play him. Phil, Bo- <laughs> there's, a, there's a contrast in the interviews because in the press conference, Grandpa Tony did his part, and they brought in Phil Ballou for the second part. And Grant, I asked Grant, do you think the team has that little extra incentive? If Mat- if Matias is in the net, and Grant kind of downplayed it and be like, "No, I think they're just trying to focus on the potential to get first place." And then you switch it, and yes, Phil Ballou. And I asked him about it and said, "Are you looking for it?" And he goes, "I really hope he plays because we're you know we really want to come at him. You know, we're going to exploit the weaknesses we saw in practice. We're going to chirp him a little bit, maybe do a little trash talking during the game. So they're excited to play him, despite Grant's like attempt to downplay." <laughs> the subplot there there it's it's a very they want him to play i think he does play i don't know if he's gonna play both if he's like really good one of the nights like let's say friday i wouldn't be surprised if he plays saturday but i think they might throw him a bone just because of the whole because you know he's the backup now but they've done that before when uh when duluth came to town uh the original plan was, I think Walt was going to play, I think he was going to play Dahlstrom both nights, Matthias Dahlstrom, but Tolvanen wanted to play his friend, Casimir Kaskasuo, because they both, you know, played against each other in Finland. They wanted to, like, compete. So he threw Tolvanen in there Friday and said, okay, you get to play this game, you know, let's see what you can do. And then he threw Israelson the backup night, and it didn't end well <laughs> for Northern. But they're... They know they want to play. I, I don't know if Hastings has the same idea that Northern has, but I think he knows his goaltender needs to play this weekend just for that extra sense of him. And at the same time, you don't want your backup to get too rusty. You know, I know McKay's playing well, but let's say he gets injured. Mm-hmm. You know, you're throwing a guy who hasn't played in quite a while. You know, there's always that question. So I think he'll play one of the games. I don't see him playing both unless he plays like lights out one like on Friday night. Um, but that's a, it's a fun little story. That's my favorite storyline. I know that maybe I'm overhyping it a little bit, but it's, it's cool. I mean, what are the chances you're going to have a former player and it's goaltenders. These two guys, Tolvanen and Anderson fought for playing time <laughs> for basically last year and the previous year for being the number one guy. And there was a, I mean, not intensely, but there was a little rivalry there. And, you know, now they're getting to face each other. Israelson wants to beat his former team. Tovenin wants to show that I mean, he doesn't really need to because he's got the stats, but mm-hmm. kind of want to show up the guy <laughs> who was fighting him for playoff time, so, for playing time. So it's, it, it's kind of cool. I, I'm hoping he plays just because it's going to be fun to write about. Hastings coming off a silver medal with the U.S. Juniors up north. They fell to Finland in the gold medal game, but he was the head coach of that squad. Since coming back to Mankato, are they any different since the beginning of the year? Has he added a new wrinkle? Do they seem like they've changed at all since they had an interim coach for a couple of weeks? No, they're too good. (laughs) You know, I think Hastings leave for a piece. I mean, you always, like, miss your head coach, but they've got such a good assistant coaching staff, and they're just too good of a team. I think if they were more of a, you know, like a third-place team or a team that's, you know, borderline home ice, I think maybe it would have had a little bit of effect, but they're one of the best teams in the country. They're seen as a 
potential ch- title contender. They're, you know, picked to win the WCHA, so I don't think it really affected them much. And until last week, uh, when they somehow got shut out by Lake State in a surprise, Grant tried to say it like it wasn't a surprise, but I think for a lot of us it was because they got stonewalled and by Lake State, who is better this year. Mm-hmm. But... Would they be the team you think would have shut out no. <laughs> Mankato? No. So it's um, they're just rolling right now. I don't think it affected them. When you look around the slate of college hockey, and obviously you had number one go down last week, but you're starting to see a few of these WCHA teams make a name for themselves, get up there in the rankings. Obviously, Minnesota State's the cream of the crop. At number seven, you got Northern right outside the top 20 receiving votes. Lake State's up there. Bowling Green's up there. WCHA's starting to get a little name for itself. I mean, they're starting to take on some credibility. It took a little while um, because I think a lot of the WCA teams, with the exception of Minnesota State and uh, Bowling Green, got off to a little slower start than they were open for. Lake State kind of turned it on, you know, late November and into December, um, and they're playing pretty well. You know, they're, they're making some noise. Now, the question is always the pairwise ranking. Some people are thinking at the start of the year, is this the year that, you know, NMU, not NMU, but like the WCHA gets three teams in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Last year they had Minnesota State and Michigan Tech. Could this be the year for three? I thought there was a chance that happened. It's now because the pairwise, they're sitting too low, I think. Northern's climbing. They're getting there, but they need to make a run if they're going to have a hope of getting there outside of winning the WCHA championship game. Um, but it, it'd be nice. I, they're they're kind of a forgotten league. You know, everybody focuses on the NCHC and now the Big Ten more than it used to, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe to a lesser extent hockey East. But uh, it, it's nice to see a team that a league that's kind of forgotten make some noise and kind of build up its reputation again. Northern ahead of Michigan in the latest rankings. At least neither of them are ranked. They're receiving votes, but Northern receiving more. Michigan is probably in a place where they have to win the Big Ten tournament to make it into the, the big dance. Is Northern in a similar spot? I I think, yeah, they're going to probably have to win. You know, I mean, if they sweep Mankato and maybe sweep Bowling Green, that can really help them in the pairwise. That can maybe say, like, hey, this team could make it in. But... To win back-to-back sweeps, it would be very, very difficult against two teams. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's gonna. It would require them to play at a high level consistently for four straight games. I, I think they're probably gonna have to win the WCHA to get in. Um, it's just because they're unfortunate start. They they got swept by St. Cloud. They got swept by Cornell. They lost to Notre Dame. You know, it just now they're clicking, but it might be a little too late. So. Who knows, though? Ryan Steig for the Mining Journal in studio with us. Appreciate you, as always. Looking forward to a little bit of hockey this weekend. Puck drop here in a couple hours. It's going to be fun. I'll, I'll be there uh, with excitement, <laughs> waiting to see if a certain goaltender is going to take the ice. So That's it for us in the Sports Pen. Thanks for tuning in on WZAM Ishpeming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great weekend.